Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. It comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. And speaking about the heart, we are that time of year again when Valentines are in our midst, Cupid, arrows, chocolates, kisses, dates, etc., etc. But what we're really talking about today is love and dating. Yep, some of us might find ourselves in a new part of life or a new paradigm after becoming uncoupled after marriage or long-term relationships. So we're talking with our guest today about creating love, creating conscious relationships. My first guest is Dr. Stan Tatkin. He's a clinician, researcher, teacher, and developer of a psychobiological approach to couple therapy, also known as PACT. He is the author of two highly received books, Wired for Love and the audiobook Your Brain on Love, and co-authored Love and War in Intimate Relationships with Marion Solomon, Ph.D. His new book, which I have in my hot hands here, is entitled Wired for Dating, and it will be, if it has not been released, any second. Welcome, Dr. Tech, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Lisa. Nice to meet you. Oh, it's lovely to have you on the show. This is something that comes up. I do a lot of work in addiction and trauma recovery. And uh, men and women are always asking me about how to create relationships, how to more consciously couple after addiction, after divorce, after death, trauma, loss, etc. And I think you have the answers, or at least some of them. Some, yes. Hopefully. Let's well. Let's talk about attachment and what a vital role this plays in how we connect and couple. Well, attachment refers to a basic human need that we discovered in the fifties, along with primates. Primates are the same way. Is our need to connect, to bond with at least one other person, and to feel safe and secure in that relationship. So, attachment theory looks at the the primary relationships in childhood um, and uh, and considers whether those relationships allow the child, the baby, the infant, the uh, uh, adolescent, and so on, to to feel fully safe and secure in the relationship. In other words, not afraid of being abandoned, not afraid of being taken over in some way. Sorry about that. So those sounds. That's the um, sounds of life. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and And so... Let's say we have a secure situation in childhood that goes throughout the lifespan of, uh, or at least the early developmental stages of childhood. That is a relationship uh, with at least one parent caregiver where the caregiver is present, 
continuously or mostly continuously present, interested, curious, wants to find the baby, has the resources to do this again and again and again, because we find that uh, that uh, attunement between individuals um, is lost and found over and over again. So we have a relationship that doesn't uh, reward or punish the child for clinging um, folding in or for separating. And that's the essence of what a secure relationship is. And then you have insecure, anything other than that, where the relationship in the family culture didn't actually come first. What came first were self-needs of the parents, performance, uh, you know, appearances, um, or the need of, of a parent to have a child take care of them for some reason. Those are insecure models or cultures of attachment and then people if they're not course corrected through healing relationships as they move forward in life they're going to repeat that same kind of situation in their adult romantic relationship and what you say is so profoundly true and I, I think it's important to share with our listeners that even though many of us have not necessarily had very um, healthy attachments in our early lives. I mean, when you look at the prevalence of divorce and look at the prevalence of what was going on culturally, let's say in the 60s and 70s, and how that impacted the way parents parented. Yes. You have a generation that may have some compromised attachment issues. Absolutely. And, and this, I, I just want people to understand, this is not pathology, this is nature. We're, de we're dealing with with a culture, a family culture, that gets handed down, and it's simply about fairness, justice, and sensitivity as a founding principle of the, of, the, of the culture. So if you and I put relationship first, that, um, that comes um, over everything else. So I can't stand it if you and I are not in good order. I have to repair with you. I have to do something to make it right because I can only breathe easily when you and I are good. Uh, okay. And because my relationship with you is the most important thing, not whether you are dressing the way I want you to dress, not because I'm right about this particular matter, but because I want the fidelity of the relationship to be good because if it is not, then I am not. In other words, yeah. The, the word fidelity, I think, is such a strong word here and has such yeah. meatiness in what we're talking about because that the sense of trust, believing in you, say, you know, you and I are attached and we're connected, right. believing that you're going to show up, that you are going to be there, that you are going to be consistent yes. and able to be trusted, then enables me to go out in the world and form those like-minded or like-emotioned relationships with others. Yes. Not only that, but people, and we focus on what's called a secure functioning relationship, which is independent um, uh, in, in terms of whether people in the relationship are actually secure or not. Um, secure functioning is a, a decision, an idea that two people uh, realize that has to do with collaboration and mutuality, that you and I understand that beyond the feelings of attraction we have for each other or common interests, we have greater interests in, in, in common, and that has to do with the purpose of our relationship. Why are we together? What's the point of us? What do we do for each other that we couldn't hire somebody else to do? And if, it's, if, if our answer isn't future thinking about, well, we... We agree on principles such as we tell each other everything because we choose to. We um, are the go-to people because we must be. We protect each other for, in public and private because that protects both of us. We're in the foxhole together and the war is outside of us, not inside the foxhole. If we have principles that, that protect both of us regardless of our personalities, that is what we call secure functioning. And that's the fidelity I'm talking about, fidelity to the, our agreements. These are what, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. I, I love this. It makes, per, it makes perfect sense. And the good news, regardless of where we have come from, we can choose to learn these, these skills. This is something yes. that's a learned behavior. 
Yes, it is. And we see people from all walks of life doing it. We have uh, people in, in the street that are street people who have mental illness, and they're able to do it. Um, I have plenty of patients who have a variety of conditions, and they're able to do it. So this is not uh, this is available to everybody who understands um, uh, what it means to be secure functioning. Um, there are several myths that you are debunking in your latest book, Wired for Dating, and I would love for you to share some of these myths because I'm I'm reading the list, and the, the first one that I see here is love is all you need to make a relationship succeed, and it's making me smile and wince at the same time. Yeah. Um, well, love is love has to be broken down in terms of what the meaning is to uh, the individual. It's like religion. Everybody comes to the table with their own meaning, their own idea. So that's one thing. But if we look on a biological or psychobiological level, love has, um, has different uh, chemical parts to it that create a feeling of love, such as you and I meet at a party and we're really excited and we can't get enough of each other. That's what we call exciting love. And that is more like an addictive love, which isn't to say it's bad. It's a necessary condition to jettison into another stage of relationship. But it ought to be something that we can uh, generate again and again throughout our relationship lifetime. So there's, uh, there's that kind of love. There's quiet love, which is, uh, you know, um, what uh, Donald Winn- Winnicott, a famous uh, physician who studied mother infant pairs, uh, called you know, going on being. It's the quiet but alert state of you and I just being together without having to use excitement. We're relaxed and we're calm and we're safe. So all the different kinds of love, but to be sure, the kind of love that most people are talking about um, is not going to hold a relationship together. Uh, uh, it will hold blood relationships, perhaps stronger, but not a marriage situation. Because what, what brings about feelings of love is what people do for each other um, that is above and beyond the pale of what other people would do. That invokes a feeling of love, a feeling of gratitude, a feeling of wanting to give back. So, uh, this is not to say that love relationships are work, but love relationships have to operate by certain rules or they will fail. And love, love will be snuffed out by feelings of threat, uh, feelings of, of regret, feelings of resentment. That's for the unskilled partnership. That's what they will do if they don't understand. Ooh, I love those words that you just used, the the unskilled partnership. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, I would love for you to identify some of the hallmarks of skilled relationship or skilled partnership. But before we go dancing off to break, I want to allow our visitors the opportunity to visit your website. It's www.thepactinstitute.com, and that's P-A-C-T. On Facebook, you are at Dr. Stan Tatkin, and on Twitter, that handle is at Dr. Stan Tatkin. Here come the tunes, and we will be right back. Once again, the book is Wired for Dating, How to Understand Neurobiology and Attachment Style Can Help You Find Your Ideal Mate with my guest today, Dr. Stan Tatkin. We're going to go to break, but before we do, I want to talk to you about something that is super important, and that is our mental well-being between the election, daylight savings time, and if your family is anything like mine, Thanksgiving, it's been a tough couple of weeks. And while it's important to take care of our mental health, we all know that it can be hard to make it to the therapist's office. That's why we're excited that today's podcast is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that connects you with a licensed therapist for just $32 a week. Whether you want to talk about Trump, your annoying uncle, something going on at the office, or just want to work on becoming a better person, Talkspace can help. Using the Talkspace smartphone app or website, you can text and audio message your therapist as much as you want, and for a reasonable fee, you can have a video call as well. So don't lose sleep, don't lose your cool, and don't lose out on this special offer. Go to Talkspace.com harvest or use coupon code harvest to get $30 off your first month and to show your support for this podcast. Once again, that's Talkspace.com harvest harvest here come the tunes we'll be right back and that's a promise
We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on Addiction, an Integrated Journey to Wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. One of the things that I know, nothing makes me happier than a good night's sleep. And one of our proud sponsors, Casper Mattresses, has gifted me with a fabulous new bed. It's obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. Just the right sink, just the right bounce, and includes two technologies, latex foam and memory foam. They come together for better nights and brighter days. And you can enjoy a risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. These mattresses are made in America, and they are outstandingly priced. $500 for a twin and $950 for a king. And for our listeners, we are gifting you today with a $50 gift towards any mattress purchased by visiting www.casper.com slash sleephappy. Once again, that's www.casper.com slash sleephappy. And don't forget to use the promo code sleephappy. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about love, which is in the air. It's February. It's Valentine's Day. But I would argue with my guest, who would probably agree that every day could be Valentine's Day. I'm talking with Dr. Stan Tatkin, and we're, we're discussing his new book, Wired for Dating, How Understanding Neurobiology and Attachment Style Can Help You Find Your Ideal Mate. And prior to the break, we were talking about uh, how we attach in our relationships, how that's modeled in our early lives, how we can actually more become more consciously aware of the attachment style and and learn new skills to attach in a more healthy fashion. And Stan brought up something really interesting, the the words unskilled relationship. And I want to talk with him about what it means to be in a skilled relationship. What are the hallmarks of positive partnering? Well, one is that you and I realize we're, we are in each other's care. We are no longer in our own care specifically or, you know, uh, 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 we are, um, I'm in your care, you are in my care. I am an expert on you. I know you better than I know myself. I know I'm better at you than I am at my work. So, <laughs> I, you know, I am the Lisa whisperer. I Ooh. know things, I know things that Lisa that nobody else could know about you, which makes me invaluable because I can do things that nobody else can do. So, but you can do things with me that nobody else knows about. You know how to, uh, how to lift my mood, how to calm me, how to know whether I've been hit by something that is my kryptonite and makes me fall. You know exactly what to do. Um, 
we're golden. No, actually platinum for each other because we actually are interested in paying attention to one another and knowing each other like we have each other's owner's manual. That's the degree we're supposed to do this. Uh, and, and we pay attention to the slightest cues or clues of distress and we take care of that promptly without delay, without complaint. The word platinum that you use, um, I, it, it, it particularly resonates with me when we talk about you know, the notion of soulmates. And so often you hear people say, I'm looking for my soulmate. And this, in fact, is one of the myths that you debunk in your book. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Because I, I, mean, I think you describe it very well, but this is a little bit different than soulmate, which is a bit ephemeral. Um, the soulmate to a lot of people uh, comes, uh, again, like love people, you have to ask what they mean, what they actually mean, because the word can mean a lot of different things. But often what people mean is that they're looking for some aspect of themselves, um, a perfect self uh, that they're trying to find that will fit them perfectly. And there is actually no such person because every person on the planet is annoying. Every person on the planet is difficult. There is no low-maintenance person up close, at least not for very long. And so people fall in love with their own image ideas of who they think they want. But if you only had one soulmate, boy, that's dismal. I mean, there's no chance I will ever find somebody in the billions of people on the planet. So um, this is an idea that, uh, that stems from um, not having anybody in front of you. So my ideal is my soulmate. But how do you become my soulmate? Well, we pair bond by recognition only. You and I would never last more than six months if we didn't recognize each other, if we didn't find each other in some way very familiar and even familial. And so that's where we recognize each other, and it feels like you're my soulmate. But it goes beyond that. How... How good of a team are we at regulating each other's nervous system states? How good are we at calming distress between the two of us? How good are we at creating excitement between the two of us? Um, these are uh, ideas that come from a two-person system in real time operating in a sensitive, um, just, and fair fashion. It has to be good for me good for you. This is a full collaboration. We are the roof of the house, top of the food chain. We are the bosses. Any other idea is going to, there's going to be a problem with that. And you won't feel like a soulmate. You'll feel like you're with the devil. <laughs> oh. Let's talk for a moment about dating, because so often you hear people who are of a certain age maybe in their 40s, 50s, 60s, or 70s and beyond that are coming into singlehood yes. again. Yes. And they talk about, oh, my God, dating is for the young, or I, couldn't, I, can't, I can't go out there, or I'm scared. I'll, ne I'll never find anybody. That's another big one. I'll never yes. hook up again. I'll never connect. Well, you know, I can understand this. I mean, it, it's not pleasant being single unless you're someone who loves being single. Then it's great. But if you are tired of this, you really want a partner, it's not easy. I, I doubt it's ever really been that easy. You could say in some ways it's harder today because there are there's more um, dating addiction out there with uh, these apps that we have on our phones. It's very easy to play the, you know, sort of the Vegas game of dating. Um, but it's not the same as pair bonding. I think what people are really trying to say is they want to pair bond again. Uh, dating sounds like a whole other thing, right? But really we're looking for a, a partner that we can live with that can be home for us, where we can actually exist together and and take fears off the table and free resources for one another. So think of the person I find is not just exciting. They have to be someone that I want to be home with, home being the two of us, home being the relationship. And what we're trying to do here is not simply talk about tools of dating. We want people to get the big idea because it's not simply dating. It is the relationship. I'm not thinking about a person. I'm thinking about the relationship I want. And this is where people are making mistakes. Um, I want the relationship to be in this fashion, fair, just, 
sensitive. We tell each other everything. We are the go-to people. We're the first to know. Um, uh, we protect each other in public and private. We re protect our resources. All these things, this is what I want. And then I, I look uh, for others who are willing to do that. If they're not willing to do that, game over. But we have so many people not thinking ahead about the relationship. They think about a person. And mm. that becomes a mistake. Or an ideal. You know, an ideal, which is a person still. Yes. And, and, and the reality of it is we're all flawed. We, we all come to the table with wounds, yes. um, vulnerabilities. And the, you so eloquently said, you know, the idea is to take fear off the table. Yes. You and I take um, certain fears off the table because we can, such as we agree never, ever to threaten the relationship itself. We don't do this because we know it's self-harming. So, uh, uh, so we don't do that, and that takes a tremendous burden off of most relationships. The fear of this relationship not lasting tomorrow can draw so many resources that we cannot concentrate, we cannot do our work, we can't be creative, we can't be self-expressive, and we're not as nice. So you and I are going to do things for each other that nobody else wants to do because they don't care. We're never going to threaten each other. I'm going to make you feel like a million bucks because if I don't, you will underperform. If I'm not the greatest thing since sliced turkey to you, then I will underperform for you. So we do these things because we can, and the alternative is bad. The words um, showing up, popping yes. into my mind, my eyes are closed and I'm listening to what you're saying. And it, it, it really is an agreement that we are going to show up for one another. Yes, which includes standing up to one another. Yeah. So, um, so here's a common thing where I, you know, I, uh, we bought and paid for each other. We've taken each other off the market. We are now, uh, we've taken each other uh, as each other's pain in the ass, like we should. Uh, we're, we, we understand we're burdens for one another, right? But now I start to complain that you scare me, and I don't tell you the truth because you scare me. Well, in my world, the way we work with couples, um, uh, that is a problem. Uh, I'm supposed to know how to handle you. I'm not supposed to be afraid of you. That's my problem. And it creates a problem for you because if I find you scary, then it makes you someone to be feared. You don't want that. So the emphasis here is I need to know how to work you. I picked you for good reasons. Now the problem is can I handle you? And since we're picking by recognition, the you I may not be able to handle is the person like my dad who I still can't handle because there are aspects of you, because I recognize you, that are like other difficult people I still can't handle. So my task is to learn how to deal with you. Um, it's not fair, right, for us to pick each other and then to claim, well, I don't know how you work and um, I don't care about paying attention to how you work. And this is what you mostly have, right? It's, it, my, oh, job yes. to, it's my job to figure you out. And that does get very exhausting, and it, it breeds uh, fatigue. It can breed contempt. I mean, you mean to, to not do that? You mean to to, to not do that? Yes. yes. Yeah. And then you're in the danger zone. Right, right. Because we are supposed, you and I are supposed to be afraid of nothing when it comes to each other. That's the way it has to be. Afraid of nothing. We avoid nothing. Um, the the danger, if there is any danger, is outside of us, not inside this couple bubble, this this terrarium that we create and that we protect. Um, so it's this is an attitude, this is a way of thinking that I think is hard f in our culture for people to get because we have too many messages that that are conflicting. Especially when it comes to you know the the, the me generation taking yeah. care of self, being whole as self before you can engage with another, and these are some of the cliches that the book I, I, goes into. But I want to talk about the psychobiological approach to couples therapy path, sure, which sure. you um, you've partnered with your wife. Yes. You offer um, workshops. You do trainings for. Uh, uh, counselors, social right. workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, continuing education. You also train couples as well. Yes, we do. Uh, so I have my practice. My wife and I do couples retreats around the world. 
but um, but we've set up a training institute. I train therapists around the world how to do this approach um, because it's a it's a it's a fun way of working, but it has a lot of complexity to it because we're dealing with. Uh, with neuroscience, how the brain develops, we're dealing with, uh, with infant development and attachment, and we're dealing also with what we call arousal regulation, and that is uh, the fast-acting process of the nervous system uh, where people react to each other faster than, uh, than thought, right? Huh. Um, and, and this is a, a phenomenon that's, that's, that is common to the human animal, um, and so we're we're seeking to understand it better and better. I want to send our listeners to the website, and that is www.thepactinstitute, and that's P-A-C-T institute.com. On Facebook, the page is, and I gave your personal page before, I'm going to give the PACT Facebook page, which is PACT Training Institute. And to learn more, you can visit stantatkin.com, and on Twitter, that handle is at Dr. Stan Tatkin. Once again, the book is Wired for Dating. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Tatkin. Thank you, Lisa. It was a pleasure. Likewise. Have a great day. You too. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit Visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the responsible relationship, love, devotion, and sacred romance. And with me now is a friend of the show who I absolutely adore, Dr. Bernie Siegel. He is a multi-million best-selling author. His first book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, was published in 1986. And that's about the year that I became interested in wellness, self-help, psychology, uh, looking at life perhaps in a little bit more holistic fashion. Bernie Siegel is the author of multiple other books, including A Book of Miracles, which is now available in paperback, 101 Exercises for the Soul, and 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. Dr. Siegel lives with his wife in Connecticut. They've got five grown kids and several grandchildren. Good morning, Bernie. Thanks for coming back to share some, share some love with me. Thank you. Um, it, it just feels good being here. You know, you're radiating something, so keep it up. And, you know, what, all, all the words you use, sacred, um, I mean, part of what I was thinking about, this sentence, 
which says so much, in a sense, being the opposite of what you're talking about, um, that doctors are trained to treat the result, not the cause. So, mm-hmm. you know, you talk again, happiness. There's an ad appeared to treat depression. These are the exact words from the ad in the major medical journal. I was depressed, unable to cope. I went to see my physician. He prescribed the antidepressant. I feel better now. I wrote the journal and the pharmaceutical company said, excuse me, I've had a tragic event in my family. I'm depressed. I go to my doctor. He just says, here's a pill. He doesn't even ask me what's going on in my life. Can you just put another line in that says, tell me what's happening in your life? And they canceled the ad. And years ago, many doctors would say to me, you're blaming your patients. I said, what are you talking about? You keep asking them what's happening in their life. But the poets and songwriters and novelists have this in their writing about cancer from a poem, Miss G, G-E-E, by W.H. Auden. Childless women get it, men when they retire, as if there had to be an outlet for their foiled creative fire. I mean, there is a, a headstone in the cemetery in our town where, for the husband and wife. And the husband, this is the problem with men, say, men have said in my office, I can't work, what's the point of living? while their wife and children are sitting in the room. But on the male side of this headstone, you know, went to Yale, uh, law degree, you know, wonderful what he did with various companies. It's all chiseled in and the dates. Then it says retired. And what happens? Within a year, he's in the grave. On his wife's side, doesn't say anything. You know, she's a wife and a mother. And she outlived him by, God knows, 10 or 20 years. You'd say, why? It's about relationships. Yeah. See, the women say, I can't die till you're all married and out of the house to their kids. And even their pets. I mean, I have told children of uh, a woman who had 12 cats. They came in. They knew I was going to take care of their mother. They said, her house is a mess. We hardly visit. It smells awful. She has 12 cats. So we'll clean it up, you know, and then... We can go ahead with her being treated. And I said, excuse me, no. They said, what do you mean? I said, you're not going to get rid of those cats. You will tell your mother you cannot find anyone who wants 12 cats, and you clean up her house. I said, then she can't die. Nobody wants her cats. And they (laughs) took the message, and on went Mama. And I can't, again, one story leads me to another, relationships. You are living with a man. You learn you have cancer, he can't handle it, and deserts you. He just leaves the house. You're alone, thinking, I have a year to live, I'm depressed, I'm alone, and a cat walks across your porch. Oh, there's, you know, something I can relate to. So she starts putting food out on the porch. And eventually, the cat befriends her and comes into the house. And then she thought, I better get this cat checked. If I'm going to go through cancer therapy, I have to know it's healthy. The vet tells her, your cat has feline leukemia and about a year to live. Mm. And she came home totally depressed. You know, the two of us are going to be dead. But she noticed something. She's plumped down on the sofa, depressed, and the cat was ripping around the house like a nutcase, you know, having a wonderful day. And she thought, you know, maybe the cat knows something I don't know. And to make a long story short, she's alive today and well and married, and the cat lived for 12 years. But the cat saved her life because, again, well, the people who live to be 100 do three things. They have a clan, it was called. They have relationships. They eat a healthy diet, and they are active. And I may add, the healthy diet was not obsessive. It was just healthy. And the activity didn't mean you went to a gym. You were just active, you know, on your feet and, and walking and doing things. And, but the most important relationship is with yourself. See, that's the part. To quote another lady, my mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. My parents committed suicide. I must have been a failure as a child. My parents are alcoholics who told me they didn't want me and I should commit suicide. And then they did. Now, 
I, again, I don't make up any of these stories. Um, but these people, without self-love, become self-destructive. Harvard students were asked in a study many years ago, did your parents love you? If they said no, by the time they were middle-aged, 98% of them had suffered a major illness. If they said, yeah, my parents love me, 24% had suffered a major illness. And if you go into any assisted living facility, you know, with 70, 80, and 90-year-olds and say, did your parents love you? They look at you like you're nuts. Yeah, of course. Why are you asking? That's why they're <laughs> still alive, you know, because they use the information to help keep themselves healthy. And why you need your program, because mankind is not doing very well. 900 years ago, Maimonides said this, Jewish philosopher and physician. He said, if people took as good care of themselves as they do their animals, they would suffer fewer illnesses. And a few years ago, to show we haven't advanced at all, in Cat Fancy magazine was a full-page letter that ended with, first, let me say that this couple smoked, one cat died of lung cancer, they had eight others who were having breathing problems. I present that to an audience. I say, what do you do? The healthy people in the audience say, well, you stop smoking. I said, no, this is Cat Fancy magazine. <laughs> it ended in, Doug and I now smoke in the yard. We love our cats more than the convenience of smoking indoors. We are not killing our cats anymore. We hope you're not killing yours. I wrote to the magazine. I said, excuse me, don't you think you ought to make a comment about what they're doing to themselves? And, of course, they didn't answer my letter or publish it. But for people to really know it's about self-esteem, self-worth, self-love, it's not about, you know, avoiding dying. It's about enjoying living. And love and humor are the two most important things. Um, to really bring into your life love of self, love of your body, love everyone in your relationship. I mean, I call it being a love warrior. Love is your weapon. Um, and I didn't say you have to like what everybody's doing. See, I could say to our kids, I love you, but I don't like the way you're behaving. And they understood. See, then I'm their life coach. I'm telling them how to do things in a better way. I mean, they could be up in a tree and it's risking their life climbing a tree. And I'll say, get down from there, you know, because what if a branch breaks? What if you fall? Um, I love you, but I don't like what you're doing because it isn't safe. So they could listen to me um, and do that. And the other is love was in it. The other is humor. And I have to do this for the women because I was reading something about anger today. Um, my wife is very good at managing me and has a wonderful <laughs> sense of humor. I Do mean, you need did, managing, Bernie? No. She did stand-up comedy uh, as part of our presentations, one-liners that the women loved because there was always a, you know, a larger group of women in the audience than men. But, um, and well, I mean, like a one-liner, there's a whole list. But, you know, your husband calls and says he'd like to have dinner out tonight, so you leave a sandwich on the front porch, okay? You know, things like that. Um <laughs> And I learned when I introduced her, you see, again, humor, people would see us and say, oh, what a wonderful relationship. How long have you been married? I said, well, we've had 40 wonderful years of married life and 40 out of 60 isn't too bad. You know, then they'd look at you, you know, but that's many <laughs> young stuff. But when I get angry, how does she handle it? Um, she'd look at me and say, honey, you're so handsome when you're angry. And then I bust into a grin, and I can't be angry anymore. And then we can talk about, you know, what is it I'm angry about? Or she'll say, honey, you're upsetting the pets, because we have a house full of creatures. And they'll be sitting there looking at me, wondering, you know, what's going on here? He's making so much noise. But the other I learned from Joseph Campbell, too, was when you're going through hell, he said, ask yourself, what am I to learn from this experience? And I find that changes me and makes me more compassionate because if I'm not being kind and loving to my wife, you know, like if she asked me to do her a favor and I say, look, can you get up and do that? I'm busy. I don't feel good saying that. 
And so I say to myself, what have I learned from this? And it's, hey, be more loving and more compassionate and help her out. And then, you know, you get some love back and it just feels so good. And another, let me just finish with this and then if you have a question, because one night after I gave this wonderful lecture, a bunch of women gathered around Bobby and I can hear them saying, oh, what's it like to be married to him? And she said, it's a struggle. And they all turned and looked at me and I nodded my head because I had learned again from Joseph Campbell. He said, marriage is an ordeal. You'd say, wow, we're trying to teach people about relationships and it's an ordeal. But he and my wife both went on to say, it's not about each individual. It's about the relationship. You know, one plus one equals three. The two of you come together and create a third entity, a relationship. And when you focus on the relationship, yeah, that's work. You know, I've just described it, that I have to ask myself, what am I to learn from this? And then you keep growing. But when you're only into self-interest, that's not a relationship. You know, like the guy who walked out on my friend uh, when she developed cancer. Why didn't he stop and sit down and say, what am I to learn from this? What are my mm. fears? Why can't I handle this? And uh, to go on from there. And I may again add that the relationship keeps you healthier and living longer. And it doesn't have to be with a person. In a oh, nursing that... home, plants were put in rooms. On one side of the hall, they said, this is your responsibility. Water it, sunshine, fertilize it. On the other side of the hall, we're decorating your room. The people who had responsibility for the plants lived three to four years longer. You know, we're going to just take a brief pause here. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question, what makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. If you're just tuning in, we are talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel. He is the multi-million best-selling author. His first book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, was published in 1986. He's written numerous books, but today we're talking about something quite special, and that is the responsible relationship, love, devotion, and sacred romance. Bernie, I, I love what you're saying because it's talking about 
the power of, of, of love as a healer, the journey of relationship as our part of our life path, that this is where we thrive, this is where we live when we're so connected. Absolutely. And a study in Australia, after a heart attack, this doctor followed everybody for a year. If there was a dog in the house, the mortality rate was 6%. If there was no dog in the house, it was 24%. Now, you know, and it isn't that the dog growls at you for eating the wrong things or that you have to take the dog for a walk. Um, Because I said, women with the same cancers as men live longer. Because, again, the women are much more into relationships. But let me say to the women, because this always bothers me, have a relationship with yourself. Be your own friend, your own child, too. You know, don't live for others. Take care of yourself. And for the men, don't live because you have to do something. Live because you want to be somebody. Be a human being, not a human doing. And, you know, in that way, we have a relationship with ourselves, too. So you don't feel lonely and depressed when you're alone because you're comfortable with yourself. I mean, I'm impressed by this with my wife in the sense that the two of us don't need anybody else. I know that may sound crazy. Yes, we love our kids and grandkids and friends and so forth, but it's okay. We can be alone together and still feel fulfilled because we have a relationship. And, uh, you know, there are other people who don't have any relationship with the people we're living with, they're living with. I mean, they, their relationship may be with drugs and alcohol and food and a whole host of unhealthy things because they never grew up with love. And, uh, again, I'd say that's the most significant thing, to love yourself. And one way of doing that, if you're having trouble, create what I call little shrines around the house. Put your photograph up all over the house. And when you walk by, or where you work too, when you walk by, give yourself a little love. Mm. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And I have added often to people, when you go to the hospital, take a picture of yourself as a child and put it in your room. So when people come in, they say, oh, what a cute little girl, what a cute little boy. Yep, that's me. And then they treat you differently. You know, they begin to see you not as a disease, or a room number, but as a person, you're that child. And that child, in the best sense, stays with us for for the duration of our life when we can connect to that lovely childlike place where there's wonder and curiosity and delight and humor and maybe even a touch of deviousness in a good way. You know, that's that's our fire. I call myself a multiple personality because the kid in me is always saying things that I'm not in control of. It may sound crazy, but I'll say things, and my wife has gotten used to it. You know, well, her answer, when people say, where'd that come from? And she'll say, it came from God knows where. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, if you keep that kid alive, it's humor that isn't insulting to anybody. And everybody laughs. And... Um, let me give you, if you don't mind, an example at a, at a supermarket. They had a sign in the window that said, Senior Discount on Tuesday. So when I got to the counter, I said to the clerk, don't forget my discount. He said, it's Friday. I said, I'm a senior. I thought it was Tuesday. That's why I drove here. I want my discount. And he didn't know <laughs> what to do with me. So he gave me a whole bunch of, of coupons, you know, for discounts that were in the cash register um, and uh, got me to leave. <laughs> but, you know, when you come back to the same store again, they see you and it's, oh, that crazy, here's that crazy guy. And they're all smiling and glad to see you again. Um, and so I'd say, don't be afraid to be a little, you know, crazy in a healthy, childlike way. Um you know, I can tell you so many crazy things I do because you walk around the supermarket, you'll see a sign, wet floor. And I'll go over to somebody on the staff and I say, you really want me to wet the floor? And again, they look at you like, 
oh, please, you know, let me let me help you finish shopping and get out of here. <laughs> you know, I think this is great though because this too is love. This is love in action. You know, this is right. part of that sacred romance uh, that we can have with life. It's not just with our our partners. Yeah. Can I share one more crazy thing I did? Bernie, um, you can share a hundred right. things. Because in a hotel, my wife and I were there lecturing at some, you know, city. And we were in the hotel and I had to run out to get something. And I forgot to bring a key. So I went back to the desk and I said, can I have a key to my room? Because I didn't want to disturb, you know, Bobby. And uh, they said, if you have <laughs> identification. So I pulled my pants up. I said, look, I got a birthmark on my left knee. Everybody knows about that. And the person, you know, the clerk looked at me like, what are you, nuts? And she goes and picks up the phone. I could tell she was calling the room to say there's this crazy man here. And then she bursts out laughing because I know when she said there's this man here who I want to identify. And I knew my wife said, did he hold his pants up and show you his birthmark? (laughs) (laughs) So the clerk burst out laughing, came over and handed me the key. But you see, now three people are having a good time. You know, my wife is laughing, I'm laughing, and the clerk at the counter is laughing. And, again, you all feel better, and you you then know each other, if you know what I mean, at a different level. Uh, when you walk by, it's not just somebody staying in the hotel. Here's that crazy guy, and they smile, and they learn your name. And, you know, that's why I said in the hospital, if you do things like that, you become a person to the nurses and the doctors and so it doesn't matter where you are, but to be that kind of character, uh, so they're not treating, you know, a diagnosis, whatever your problem may be, whether it's with a lawyer, doctor, or plumber, um, but that they're treating you as a person, and then they treat your body or your home or your finances in a different way. I couldn't agree with you more. You know that by allowing somebody to know our heart, a little bit of our heart, a little bit of mm. our soul, we be, we become someone, not somebody or something to someone else. And I think that's the essence of what we all want in life. Yeah. That's where that connection comes from. Yeah, I have some programs, write an article, I call it Mind and Heart Matters. You know, don't, well, as a lawyer said, in the midst of a tragedy, while learning to think, I almost forgot how to feel. Because he said, I came to a conclusion that was eminently reasonable, totally logical, and completely wrong. Because while learning to think, I almost forgot how to feel. Yep. And then I know people whose lives are threatened who put on their refrigerator, when you live in your heart, magic happens. Amen. And, again, that's, yeah, and that's people, it. people that... you know, who should have died and are still walking around because their body got the message that they loved their life. Well, Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. That says it as well as anything. And that's yeah. not a problem for kids and animals. It's a problem for adults. True. True. And you know, the thinking, you know, don't always, don't believe everything that you think, you know, is something that I always say and I constantly remind myself about because we like to think, you know, we're right. ruminators until we train ourselves differently. Yeah. Learn to feel. And then describe what you're feeling. You see, when people come in, say, I have this and this problem. I say, how would you describe what you're going through? Failure. How does that word fit your life? Pressure. How does that word fit your life? Well, as a matter of fact, the lady who said pressure was about to be admitted to the hospital with severe migraine headaches. So when she said pressure, I talked to her about the pressure in her life. Fifteen minutes later, the nurse came over to me and said, it's our marriage. She's going home headaches gone. That impressed mm. me. See, she knows what she needs to go home and work on that relationship. And then the headaches won't be there again. So true. We are out of time, Bernie, which, which means one very good, wonderful thing that you'll have to come back. All right. <laughs> I would say the message is we're all going to run out of time someday. So enjoy your life time yeah enjoy the lo- enjoy life and enjoy love right that's what that's what i'm gonna work on today yeah. that's my goal to, to just love go out when i leave difference. when i leave this studio and love more 
Um, here are a few thoughts before we part. Thank you to the dear Dr. Bernie Siegel. I want to just give our listeners uh, some places to find you uh, at www.bernieseagolmd.com, on Facebook, bernie.siegel.75, on Twitter, at bernieseagolmd. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. And I'm going to add love for today. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dr. Stan Tatkin and Dr. Bernie Siegel, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.